Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pixelous Podcast, a podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. I'm Will, that's Blake. Today we're here to talk about some Critical Role episode... Kind of muted, yeah. I'd like... My voice just went away, but episode 50, since that, uh, that well, cut I made out. Sure, I made sure not to say anything, because I thought, I'm sure it's just me that you cut out for. <laughs> but I was trying to just let you go, because I have a habit of screwing up our intro, so... And well, now I've talked about it. it. You know, it would have been a good time to butt in because I, you know, I don't know what happened there. But yeah, episode five episode five zero. That's right, man. We made it. We made it to episode fifty. Yeah, it's fifty episodes crazy. of campaign three. Yeah, which I guess, I mean, there's not one every week because of various things. But so we're we're over a year deep now, right? Yeah, we hit a year. I think in the fall. Okay, so it's been a while. Yeah, been a while. But so yeah, the solstice. This is the most critical role we've ever watched. What do you mean? I just wanted to say a statement. <laughs> just see. <laughs> I was <laughs> going to say because you know technically every episode we watch <laughs> is the most critical role we've ever watched. Bro, man, magician over here. You know, right. it's like that. You're the you're the oldest you've ever been and the youngest you'll ever be. In this you know, right now. I kind of dislike the. I know we you kind of razz me for like things that I don't really like too much, but I don't really like that kind of stuff. Like I remember when I worked at summer camp, the person who ran the camp would be like, "This is the best week ever." You know why? And I'd be like, "Why?" And they'd be like, "Cause it's the only one we got." And I'd be like, "But it's not the only one we got. We have several more weeks." And my wife would be like, "He means like this is the only one of this week that we have." And I'd be like, yeah, but it's like factually not true. We have <laughs> we have more weeks. Yeah. So well, I'm I'm anyway. with you on that take. Thank I wouldn't you. necessarily equate it to what I just said. I feel like they're a little oh, bit well, different. I don't know. <laughs> but, I feel like we're kind of vibing together and how <laughs> you know, just but, the tomfoolery of these kind of you know weird sentences. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's so. that's basically like fifty percent of our brand, if not more. True. <laughs> Definitely more. Yeah. But yeah, episode 50, man. I've never made, I personally have never made it this far into a campaign. You know what? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was, I'm glad you brought us back there because I was going to circle us there as well. It's cool that, um, and I mean, I've never had anyone besides just, you know, random people on the internet to talk about with. So it's, yeah, this is the deepest I've ever been, you know, watching a campaign <laughs> with someone. So yeah, this is fun. It's getting kind of intimate now. Yeah. Glad I'm we, okay uh, with that. Glad we went on this journey together and yeah. with all of you as well, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, uh, but, yeah. So, and then I, is, is there an anniversary coming up for Critical Role? Yeah. This week is the freaking eight year anniversary, which has blew my mind. Yeah. Wow. I don't That's know crazy. How it's been that. Like, we're, I mean, we're still two years away, but all, encroaching upon a decade of Critical Role, which is just, yeah, doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Um, it's pretty wild. And it, I mean, I know we were saying episode 50 is going to be a massive one, and I feel like we're still on the cusp of that. But now I feel like now I'm on the anniversary episode, you know, like what's going to happen? Yeah. How crazy. So. I mean, it seems like it's like the solstice is not 100 percent, I guess, but almost definitely falling next episode, which yeah, you know, what crazy coincidental timing. Uh, TPK on the eight year anniversary. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I guess should we jump into it then or um yeah, the uh um quick plug for the 5k subscriber giveaway we're doing. Um that I'll just leave it at that. It's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> when we get to 5k, there's a giveaway, so we'll figure it out. Yeah, if you haven't subscribed yet, maybe maybe that entices you. Um other yeah. than that, uh well, Worlds Beyond Number. We're going to Worlds gonna, Beyond Number. Yeah, um, we're going to try to stick to it. I I've, I've watched well, we realized we listened to two different things, but we Will's finished episode one. I've almost finished episode one. Um, and this is the audio campaign um, coming from um, a few of the Dimension 20 peeps mm-hmm. um, doing their kind of own, own thing currently. But um, I don't know if that description does it justice or not. But Yeah, uh, oh, real quick. It's like an audio. It's audio only. So it's different to Critical Role in that there is no like video you can watch if you want to. But Brennan Lee Mulligan, uh, Erica Ishii, Abria Iyengar and Lou Wilson are the yep. dynamic. 
I was going to say duo, but yeah, quad pod for yeah. uh, this. And we'll, we'll talk more about it, but uh, having watched or listened to episode one, I really liked it. So for you guys that are watching this video that are clearly critical role fans, I would recommend checking it out if you haven't. Yeah. Um, only other thing we got our last of us stuff um, still coming down the pipeline as well. And I think that's it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So I guess without further ado, uh, let's jump into our discussion and recap. And if this is your first time watching us, we like to recap each episode of Critical Role before we dive into our proper discussion. Uh, and we actually cut that recap out and host it separately on YouTube for your convenience. So if you find yourself on that recap video and you want to hear our full thoughts, that will be linked down in the description below. Um, so let's dive into it here. If I can pull up my notes. There we go. Okay. So this is episode 50 of Critical Role Campaign 3, Red Moon Rising. So Feels like an anime title or something. For sure. <laughs> Uh, so we pick up with the crew and it is the dawn of the final day and it is time to plan. <laughs> um, so as always, there's a bunch of back and forth on what should we do? What should we try? Um, and one of the things they kind of ultimately land on is like, well, and this is something they've been thinking about is this like bomb plan where they have this bomb they got from Mimahara Joe and they're just going to like crash it into the key. So they're like, we could do this, but we probably would need like cloud cover and like do we really want to be dependent on the weather? So as they're talking this out, they're like, well, let's go get Ira, the Nightmare King, and you know, see what he brings to this equation. So they go and get him, and one of the first things they ask are like, you know, you're old. Have you been part of these solstices in the past? <laughs> and uh Ira's like, Well, I have, but never in Exandria. Like I've been I've been here for them and I've utilized ones in the Feywild. And he's like, they bring about heightened magics um aberrations kind of can be born and like unique mythological creatures actually will kind of show up or be born or what what have you because of these types of solstices um and ira also like has this like long spyglass that he takes out and he's kind of directing xandis and the ship like which direction to go and fern actually pickpocketed it pickpockets it from him which will come up a bit later um but so after talking to him a little bit, they're like, okay, we need basically a sky team and a ground team. And the sky team will be the ones that stay on the ship to basically, you know, turn it into a bomb while the ground team goes in and hopefully could maybe extract uh, plane rider Ren. And they're trying to figure out who should be on what team, but ultimately they land on FCG and Fern being the ones to stay on the ship with essentially everyone else being on the ground team. Um, Chetney at this point is like, we should make sure no one's like listening to our planning right now and that kind of brings up um imogen's new circlet that she just bought last episode that kind of prevents being scried upon and they're like do you think this prevents you from being dream scried on and they think so and while they're talking about this she actually realizes that for the first time essentially in her adult life she right. kind of because she constantly has to block out all the voices that because right. of the circlet she can kind of let those walls down because the circlet's doing it for her. And it's a very like kind of freeing moment for her. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Chet then goes and fills in Captain Xandis on their uh, plan. <laughs> and uh, Xandis is essentially like, well, you know, we got to make sure the crew and me get off. Um, and they're like, well, who's going to pilot the ship? And so Fern basically is the one that's going to be piloting the ship for this bomb mission. And so Xandis uh, decides to like give her the wheel for an hour to see how it goes. It doesn't go that well, but you know, they figured they can hopefully make do. Um, so they continue and they actually park the ship really quick to let the majority of the crew off. Xandis um, does not get off yet. Um, he's going to keep piloting until a little bit later. Um, during this time, Imogen sends a message to Keyleth, basically filling her in and kind of get trying to get the plan together and Keela says that you know she's gathering her able-bodied Ashari and that Imogen needs to just let her know when they're ready and she'll find a tree but she's like hey just so you know like our arrival won't be quiet so like make sure you know it's time to go so final preparations are made um Bell's Hells basically put on half of them put on the Ruby Vanguard robes that they had um gotten from that encounter they also have a couple of Paragon's Call like sets of armor. So they put those on too. They're basically getting, you know, full up in their disguises for this infiltration. And, um, 
Xandis then lands the ship to let off ground team. And Xandis also departs the ship in this moment and, you know, basically wishes them all luck. Uh, and Bell's Hells, you know, uh, Sky Team and Ground Team basically wish each other luck, kind of yeah, say yeah. their goodbyes, but not, know, in like a, yeah. not in like a morbid way. Um, yeah. And one kind of cool moment during this portion is Ashton tries to pickpocket Fern, um, but is unsuccessful. Like she totally notices that that's what's happening. And uh, she asks, like, what were you looking for? And Ashton says that they were looking for something personal and irreplaceable. And she gives him a kiss. Um, a nice little moment. Yeah. Uh, so the ground team, which is again, everyone except for FCG Fern and Ira are on a crawler making their, making their way to the excavation site. Um, and they go as far as they can on the crawler cause it's kind of loud and then they park it and continue on foot and they notice something up ahead. So Chetney goes to scout by himself and he finds this wreckage of a skyship, um, which they come to, you know, basically figure out that it is a skyship from Vasselheim that actually had a cathedral on it. Um, and he reports back to the crew after investigating a bit and, you know, seeing that the ship was like shot down and there was like combat that took place on it. And they're like, maybe we should reevaluate our plan because clearly they have defenses in place to deal with skyships. Um, mm -hmm. They took down this Vasselheim one. So they want to message the sky team, but they decide, well, let's keep going, get some more information so we don't have to waste too many message spells, but we will definitely tell them that later. Um, so they keep going uh, and they start to see some an encampment in the distance and they have made it to basically the edge of the excavation site. And Ladna has pulled out the uh, scrying orb that she has with the Odahan ring and she can see that it's like pointing yeah. downward toward the bottom of the pit. So like they're definitely coming to it. Um, and they can see people uh, and a crawler actually comes by them, but with a successful de deception check um, and the fact that they're wearing these disguises, the crawler keeps going. Uh, but then they make their way to these actual tents where there's people and actually like a really large automaton. And once again, they get stopped and uh, Imogen says, you know, we're here with Miss Timmel, a.k.a. her mother. Uh, she makes a pretty strong deception check. Um, but there is a member amongst this camp that like recognizes some of the crew. And we figure out that this person is from the fight that Bell's Hells had in Eos in the basement um, mm -hmm. where they were pretending to have an orgy. So that's that same fight. <laughs> um, and so they kind of have analysis paralysis set in because they're trying to do the deception check, but clearly like the, the members of the Ruby Vanguard aren't just like completely taking it. Imogen even says like, oh no, they're double agents. Like, don't worry. Don't ask any more questions. Oh, like we got to go. Um, and instead of just sitting in the analysis paralysis of like, what should we do? They kind of know what's going on. Uh, Travis just has Chetney wolf out and just start attacking them. And that's actually where we go to break for the first half. Yeah. So in the second half, um, a large portion of it is combat. And it's basically the ground team versus these ruby vanguard and what's called a warder which is this large mechanical construct um i honestly if you've played kingdom hearts it reminds me of like the really big fat mechanical bad guys yes um so that is pretty cool action figure um for the combat uh and they're basically fighting in the middle of this sort of like cover of sandstorm um with like these two tents nearby so again just keeping in how we typically describe combat i'll just i'll hit like the highlights of it um the one of the ruby vanguard mages is going to try to do paralysis on the party and only ashton's going to fail the role so he's going to be paralyzed but a quick attack from chetney is going to break his concentration and will free up ashton for the remainder of combat um, other than that, um, the warder's going to pick up one of the tents and throw it at Ashton, uh, but doesn't do too much damage. Um, and basically, as they take down the mages one by one, which is actually fairly easy for the party, uh, they begin to combine their attacks on the large mechanical construct, this warder. Uh, they're doing like electric damage, like shocking grasp, um, things like that. There's a really cool moment from Imogen where she um, casts command, which I think uh, Laura Bailey gets like the award for using commands like consistently through a campaign so yeah. well. But she uses command and tells the warder to grovel. And the warder, I think, rolled like a natural two and then has to go prone, basically, which is a massive advantage for the party. 
Uh, and then also, um, not to mention that Laudna has casted Bane at a higher level uh, to apply Bane to all of the opponents uh, in this combat session. Um, other than that, uh, they end up taking down the warder, but not before Chetney climbs on its back and considers climbing down into this sort of suit of armor that comprises the warder. Uh, and is very glad that he did it because the warder uh, opens up its chest and uh, blows fire across the entire party. Um, all that to say, they defeat it. It sort of crumples down into a heap of metal. Uh, and the party's kind of like, we did it, yay! When all of a sudden, Imogen is sort of pulled into the remaining tent and pulled behind like some crates or barrels within the tent. And immediately hears a voice someone who's basically like what are you doing like why are you fighting the vanguard and imogen can't see this person but she is like hey we're on the same team like what's going on and in an amazing moment i think especially for people who watch campaign two this person is revealed to be beauregard who um also nods and reveals the presence of another figure a certain caleb uh who drops invisibility and uh they're pretty much like you know who are you and <laughs> it's just an awesome <laughs> moment i mean it kind of seem like they're old characters and uh beauregard has some lines where everyone is kind of like oh yeah that's Bo." <laughs> but uh, you know it's sort of like cracking her knuckles and she's like jacked um but basically the party comes down into the tent and they have a conversation on like what's happening here and beauregard and caleb are like yeah we've this has been part of a 10-year journey of following the cerberus assembly and for better or worse the other members of the assembly have really avoided getting involved with what lewdness is up to maybe intentionally maybe they don't want to be a part of it uh Bo mentions other people that they've, other mages that they've beat up and taken care of, um, kind of joking that like we can handle lewdness, but also mentions that lewdness has gotten really sloppy over the recent time period that they've been following him, almost too sloppy, almost yeah. that he wants to, he wants to sort of be sloppy for some reason. Um, other than that, uh, they reveal that. Uh, when Bell's Hells mentions that they took out the key in the Feywild, Bo and Caleb reveal that they had come here with Plains Rider Wren. They knew about Wren getting captured, but more importantly, they were part of the Shadowfell team that went to go destroy the Shadowfell key. Uh, they weren't successful. They did damage it heavily. And unfortunately, some of the members of the party that they were with, who they describe as being members of the Grim Verity, were um, unfortunately lost in combat. So uh, coming from the Shadowfell, here they are now to um, hopefully take care of lewdness. Uh, the party asks, you know, why haven't you sort of snuck inside? And they're like, well, we don't want to die, which I don't know what that says about um, the dangers of sneaking into the heart of um, this excavation site. Um, but they they also sort of swap notes on um, uh, Bell's Hells mentions their airship plan and Bo says, well, there is a big sandstorm, so maybe it could work. Um, and mentions the other airship and confirms that it was from Vasselheim uh, that got destroyed. Um, all that to say, they kind of agree, you know, this could be a good distraction mutually. They decide, you know what, why don't we um, split up if we can and see if we can sort of create a distraction that sort of splits their forces. Um, and other than that, it's just sort of like wait for their signal. Um, during this time, there is another crawler that comes by and sees like the, the, the crumpled mess of the water. Um, Imogen, I think has like a deception 20 to basically say like, oh, it's malfunctioning. We're working on it. Uh, and the people in the crawler are like, you know, this old, this old stuff never works anymore. Things like that. Um, other than that, uh, it's still on the brink of the Apogee Solstice and we end the session there. Uh, with the parties splitting up and Imogen deciding to message uh, FCG and sort of update the air crew on uh, what's been happening. Um, very exciting second half to the episode, and that is what happened in episode 50, Red Moon Rising. Um, I want to say like in a Scottish, Red Rising. <laughs> That's what I keep thinking of. Good book, but, by um, the way. Yeah. So, um, anyhow, yeah, if, if, or, go ahead. I was going to say what you're going to say. If you're checking out <laughs> Just the recap, click the link for our full discussion on the episode. And uh, yeah. So my friend Will, what'd you think? Uh, 
you know, I liked it. Of course, it's always, I mean, I say always like it happens all the time, but it's awesome to see, you know, old characters kind of repop up. Um, so I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of people like me that even only from that, this was a really fun yeah. episode. Um, you know, it, it was, uh, it, not that we were like, oh, the solstice is definitely happening episode 50. Um, I yeah. even thought there probably would be a lot of planning this episode before we got into it. So it wasn't, it was a, it was a slower placed, uh, planning yeah. episode, but I still enjoyed it. Uh, you know, we're on the brink of potentially, uh, you know, uh, not, I don't want to say campaign ending content, but, uh, we're seemingly on the brink of something very big. Um, so well, I you think know, if we, Matt, as is wrapping up, even said something like a lot of threads from campaign one and two have all led to this, yeah. which what a bold thing to say. <laughs> yeah. So that's crazy. Um, I, yeah. But end of the day, I enjoyed it. Um, even though we didn't kind of, we didn't get to it yet. I'm fine with that because, you know, yeah. I'm kind of nervous about it happening in general. Right. Um, but what about you? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, if we're going to watch four plus hours of tabletop, adventure i mean chances are we're gonna enjoy it so um yeah i loved it it's i do kind of feel a little bummed um it's cool seeing these moments of you know like when they were in whitestone but i kind of i'm like oh man i kind of wish i'd gone back and watched those campaigns before now just to like fully just to fully experience it you know but um yeah i think it was great i think i think honestly what's really fun other than like the story of dnd is seeing the players reactions and just seeing how giddy everyone was around the table with Bo and Caleb. Um, that was yeah. just cool. That was a fun moment. So yeah, for sure. Um, so I thought, it, but, I thought yeah. it was funny. Uh, I think it was Laura that was like, why is it always Marisha? Cause we have Keyleth, Bo <laughs> and you know, all, all three of her characters all here. Um, which yeah. He's like, just, that's my wife. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, just a fun episode in general. Um, yeah. But, well, and it's, it was cool because we had a little pixelist prediction last episode where we said, hey, if the Cerberus Assembly, this guy Ludness, who's a pretty big figure, where's uh, where's Bo and Caleb? You know, where are they, where at? they at? And yeah. uh, sure enough, it, it only made sense for them to show up. And so I'm glad I'm glad they did. Otherwise, it would have made me wonder, like, wh where are they? Like, why aren't they here? So. Yeah, for sure. Um, 100%, especially with the 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 stakes of what's going on here. Those two characters who we knew to be like very suspicious and literally investigating the Cerberus assembly. It would be, it would be weird if they weren't not, not that they yeah. didn't have to show up, but it would be weird if they weren't involved in some form yeah. or fashion. Well, um, and I, I wonder it's been more than 10 years since we got part two, right. That we watched recently. I don't, I don't know exactly. Okay. I don't know if it's been I don't know if it's been more than 10 years since that. I would say it's been probably 10ish years since the yeah, end okay. of campaign 2 at least. Um, yeah, okay. Cuz I'm also just wondering what has transpired since part 2 and now present day. Yeah. Uh, like some of the mages they mentioned beating up, uh which I don't know if any of those were campaign 2 figures by the way, but Yeah, um I wanted to talk about that, so I guess now's as good a time as any. They uh, so I guess slight campaign two spoilers um, for those of you that are that care. I know um, I know at least some of you guys are currently watching campaign two because we've talked about it. But uh, yeah, so there's your warning. I guess I'll do this or something when it's over. <laughs> I'll probably forget, so maybe Blake remind me if yeah, I don't. Um, sure. But so the three names mentioned are Halas, Benathar, and Trent. Uh, Halas and Trent are names I'm familiar with. Benathar, I'm not. And I even did a quick Google search and I couldn't find anything. So I think that's yeah. brand new. Interesting. Um, so I guess I'll just start with that one. I'm assuming that's somebody that that is post-campaign two that they have maybe dealt with. Maybe it's, I mean, an easy, an easy line to draw would be, is that a Cerberus Assembly member? Um, it's not one that we know of, um, but there is... In campaign two, there was a vacancy or a couple, actually, I guess, technically of of spots on the Cerberus assembly. So maybe Benathar was one of those replacements and then was since yeah. dealt with. Um, but Halas was not a member of the Cerberus assembly. So maybe Benathar wasn't either. Maybe it's just another powerful mage. 
um, yeah. unrelated to the assembly. But yeah, that definitely peaked my radar, and I um I don't know who that is, and so I'm curious. Maybe it's just a name Matt drew out of his hat in the moment to kind of you know a list needs yeah. three things, not two, or maybe <laughs> maybe it's you know maybe it's something we'll get some light shed on a yeah. bit later. Um, but Trent and I gave the spoiler warning. Uh, Trent was a member. Um, well, actually, was Trent actually Trent might not have been a member, but Trent was one of the main kind of antagonistic forces in Campaign Two. Um, they kind of had some direct ties to Caleb and they dealt with him. So that one makes sense. And then Halas, this one's interesting. Um, Halas, you and I have talked a lot about the happy fun ball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Halas created that and they actually found him within it. He was like this powerful wizard from like a long time ago. And uh, he accidentally trapped himself like in a gym. Like he disembodied himself um, and he's like yeah. in this gym now. And in campaign two, he tried to talk the party into like returning him to his body, but they didn't really trust him. So they didn't. Um, and there, and nothing else really happened. So I thought it was weird that she said like we dealt with Halas. Like, yeah, they ran into him in campaign two and he wanted them to return him to his body and they never did. But would you call that dealing with him? So that made me really wonder like, have True, they must have, done yeah. something post campaign too to like deal with him? And I don't know. Just if, from yeah, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Just from what you've told me, it sounds like there has to be more there after campaign two. Because was there also the association with the Cerberus Assembly with Halas? Not, not like a, not like directly. No, but he is like okay. a really powerful. Mage. Yeah. So presumably returns to his body, teams up with Ludness and the gang, and then. Gets his head handed to him at some point. I don't know. I don't know. I like. I don't know if I. I would necessarily jump to that direct of a connection or not. I mean, it's yeah, totally okay. possible. But I would. That language does make me lean towards. There's been something with Halas post campaign too, um, but maybe yeah. not. Maybe again. Maybe just in the moment of Matt trying to think of powerful mages the Mighty Nine has dealt with, Halas yeah. came to mind, and so he just listed Halas. Uh, so y'all, let me know in the comments if you guys think that. Hmm there's been post C2 Halas interactions, or if that was just referring to the stuff that happened in campaign two. Yeah. Um, Super interesting though. Yeah. But cause I mean, especially knowing Matt, like a lot of times those little breadcrumbs are more than just in the moment, him thinking of something like a lot of times those are deliberate. Yeah. Um, I wonder if we'd ever get like a one shot of like the days before now, like what's even like led, that would be Caleb cool. and Bo to, you know, come to Marquette, but especially to this excavation site. I mean, and, yeah. and but here's what's interesting. They're freaking powerful, right? Like I loved Orem doing what's the the fighter skill. Um, oh, yeah. Like know your enemy or whatever. Yeah. What's their level? Their level. And, you know, that's like much higher than yours. <laughs> um, he's like, great. So level nine. <laughs> so what level were they? Were they 17 at the end of part two? That's what I was just trying to look up because I think they were 15 at the end of C2. And I think they did. They were a little bit more powerful in that in that re- reunited special. Yeah, I think they were. I would were... say 17 max, though. Yeah, okay. Um, um, I mean, let's see. Let me just find it real yeah, quick. Let's see here. Campaign, Mighty Nine, character sheets. Uh, yeah, level 17. 17. So yeah. Okay, so it's been however many years since then. I'm sure they aren't like on Vox Machina power, but maybe close. Because Vox Machina is level 20, right? Presumably. Um yeah, okay. so which, you know, who knows how it works? Like, you know, if if they've just been chilling retired, do you lose power? Like, could they have right. deteriorated in levels a bit? Um, so yeah. Uh, seemingly at least the mighty nine is at least level 17. Um, now what's while we're here, um, Caleb and Bo were the two that were focused in investigating this. So it makes sense that they're the ones that are here and it's not like the full fledged mighty nine, but on the same page, if this, if they, and maybe they don't realize truly what's happening here, but if they do, wouldn't you think they would be, calling in their friends like again oh i forgot to do the spoiler thing but this is spoilers i guess still um especially Bo and yasha are married 
like they're mm-hmm. oh yeah you know, like at least wouldn't you call yasha in if you realize yeah. what was happening here um and i guess we'll just get rid of the spoilers now for anybody that happens to be <laughs> paying attention um yeah you so would, yeah i wonder I if so. i'm not it, sold that we that they haven't been called yeah because this is like a covert op like she was undercover. So it's not like the whole gang could be there undercover. So maybe they're, but like maybe, maybe just a message away or something. Well, maybe after the shadow fell, maybe they called him in and was like, we're going to need some extra help. Like this has been a train yeah. wreck, you know? Cause, but I, it's interesting. It definitely feels like we're heading to like an Avengers assemble moment yeah. thing. Cause we've talked endlessly about the stakes and the size of power of the opponent and how bells hells is so out of, out of range here yeah. like just so below like no hope at all with like all the exaltants and like people coming to this area paragon's call ruby vanguard Ludinus, Adahan, liliana i mean like all of these things like no way and so um keyleth being involved uh mighty nine being involved i mean definitely ira being involved hopefully no double cross um <laughs> It definitely feels like it's an Avengers Assemble moment coming. For sure. Which I'm all for. Let's do it. Yeah. Which kind of leads me back into the same discussion. I'm sure people are tired of us having at this point. Um, So maybe we don't have to stay too long in it. But like, what happens after this? This feels like the end of the campaign type of moment. But it doesn't like if, if the past is any indication, we shouldn't be really anywhere near the end of the campaign yet. But, you know, they did say we're doing things a little different this time around, like expect some surprises, expect some changes. Like, I don't know. I can't help but go into this feeling like it's in game stuff. And so what does that freaking mean? Like, you know, like, where do we go from here? Do they have a chance of being successful? Is this just the is this just the the catalyst to what's going to the rest of the campaign is going to be about? Um but yeah, you're, I mean, you're totally right. It definitely feels like the Avengers are assembling and uh, it's just, it's just weird to think of something so important and big happening. Yeah. Halfway and, through, if you will. Right. No, you're right. It definitely feels like in game for sure. Um, and honestly, every famous character they bring back, the more nervous I am. <laughs> yeah, me I too. mean, like, it's like it's like oh Caleb and Bo oh wait I really I really like them like yeah. <laughs> well could Matt kill one of these characters from campaign one or two I mean it's certainly possible right I mean I don't know I just have a hard time seeing them make it through this without there being really heavy losses yeah you know I mean and that, that man, I don't. I know they kind of joked about. It. I know it wasn't intentional, but like the goodbyes between the air and the ground team, like yeah, I don't know, man. I kind of felt like that might be the the last time some of these characters are going to have like a and like Ashen and Fern, like that sweet kiss and just. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, it totally could. Like they were they were acting like well, we're not saying goodbye, but like yeah, and not that they like would intentionally be, but like that's definitely on the table, right? Like they're. This is like a suicide mission in a lot of ways. So like that might've been a goodbye between some of them. Um, and yeah, on the, that's not even to mention the the other campaign characters, which is just a really interesting dynamic to think about. Cause I know that whole table trusts each other and especially Matt explicitly or implicitly, whatever the, they trust him. Um, so I think that they <laughs> explicit and implicit import export. <laughs> Art Vandalay. Uh yeah. <laughs> so I think that like they trust Matt and you know they trust Matt. So I, I don't think that like it would it would come as a complete surprise if like one of their older campaign characters died, but at the same time I can't imagine that he would like he I feel like he would want them to have some agency in that versus them just being like, oh, you know. Bo died and like, you know, Marisha didn't even have any type of like agency in that decision. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, knowing how talented Matt is and I'm sure the communication, this is, and this is not a, it's scripted, you know, which I love how right. they joked about that when, when Ashley Johnson's like, wait, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> and like Matt was even just like, 
Okay, guys. <laughs> um, I I would because I know with my players, I have conversations like, "Hey, like, tell me, uh, what would you be your comfort with like these kinds of things being in flux?" Mm-hmm. Um, and not like if this happened, what would you do? But like, you know, hey, tell me how important is this to you? Um, and so I, I can only imagine that Matt's had similar conversations of like, hey, like, what's what's your comfortability with, um, you know, characters in the past, like finding maybe finding out in the future that they've passed on, like, is that something that would upset you, or, or maybe phrased differently, like, what would you hope to be have been true about your character twenty years later? Yeah, um, not that he's like doing this sort of like HR style, like, and tell me what right. is, but I just assume that conversations are happening. 100%. Um, you know, and so I, I would be not surprised if, if they are surprised, but also have come to terms with like, okay, yeah, I, yeah. I'm okay with that happening. The question is, will the audience be okay with it? Because I do know that's a tension where, you know, people are really pissed off that something happened and it's like, guys, it's our D&D table, you yeah. know, so... Bro, you, I can only imagine the toxic takes that would be thrown around if somebody from a past campaign died. Like, I mean, not that, you know, people can are allowed to feel how they want to feel, but I just, you know, they would be coming out of the woodwork with something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm totally with you. If, if that does happen, I think there were definitely conversations had, not as in like, hey, I'm going to, hey, just so you know, next episode, I'm killing Bo. Not that, yeah. but like the appropriate <laughs> conversations were yeah. had. Um, yeah. Even with I even knowing that was the case, I still, especially you know, now that we know um, those dice rolls he had, uh, Liam yes. and Marisha make uh, coming yes. out of the Feywild were for yes. Bo and Caleb. Right, just showing that, that he even gave them agency in that moment. I can't mm-hmm. imagine that they would have zero agency in a potential life and death situation. Now, how he would manifest that into the campaign, like maybe he has them make roles again, but doesn't tell them what they're for, you know, type of thing. Or and this is something we've we've, you know, I really don't know if I even think this is possible, but or maybe we do get. Exandria Unlimited Mighty Nine Apogee Solstice and like we get like maybe they take a break from campaign three after next episode and we get like a one episode of, of the Vox Machina members that are there, one of the mighty nine members that are there and right. maybe our um, crown keepers crew or something. Um, so I think there's a lot of options for things happening there, but all that to say, I do think it's on the table that like anyone could die that we've, that we know to be here, mm-hmm. um, which just makes it all that more crazy. Yeah. And scary. <laughs> yeah. So I don't typically watch live, but I I'm like, man, do I really need to like, make sure i can watch this thursday i don't know but um so yeah it's pretty wild who's to say what i mean they're right on the edge of the camp they're right on the edge of the apogee solstice matt's confirmed that they don't quite know when it happens or when it starts i guess um and seemingly directionless not like at fault of the party but kind of like okay what do we do now especially if this airship plan is a no-go which seems to possibly be the case um yeah but yeah oh I thought... oh oh sorry i just have a, a different conversation but um i don't want to jump from what we're talking about okay well don't forget but real quick on the airship thing i thought i was wondering if it was matt even almost being nice with them coming upon that wrecked scare skyship yeah. you know um of giving them a little hint hint maybe um, and not to say that, that that's definitely what it was, um, but it could be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of thinking the same thing that like, you know, these are very, very powerful people. Like they have ways of dealing with the skyship. Um, that's not to say that they still can't make this work, especially with a storm being in the mix too, of maybe giving them some, some cover or given distractions on the ground, you know, freeing up space for the ship to come in. Um, but I really, I'm interested to see if they still go for it given that given that warning that they yeah i interpreted it that way too as a warning from matt um which is what a great dm does is um kind of informs people as to the level of difficulty of the task that they're you know wanting yeah. to do and so i think it was a nice 
um, a nice little breadcrumb that Matt created to basically say like, hey, there's, you know, this is not like level four D&D where someone's like, you know, they describe like something like totally outside the realm of possibility and like, and then I kill all four goblins at the same time. It's like, I roll a D20 for that. Um, this feels, you know, you know, like those old like uh, stories of like people playing D&D where it's like, they like meet the king and they're like, I want to do a persuasion to take the crown. And it's like, yeah. this would never happen, you know? Not that it is that, but in my mind, I kind of put it in that vein of like Matt being like, all right, guys, um, it's not really going to be doable. <laughs> um, so I, I internalized it the same way. Yeah. Or at the very least, like you said, letting them know like how, like what the DC of something like that's going to be. It's going to be high. Um, but just the imagery real quick of, of the skyship with a cathedral on it sounded so cool. Like I wanted, it's destroyed, so we don't really get to see it, but I would love to see, I would love to see that. Like, you know, not that we'll ever yeah. be in a situation where it comes up again, but I just thought that was such a cool, that evoked such like, cool imagery. Give me like Final Fantasy vibes. Yeah, for sure. You know? I just, yeah, it was really cool. And it was cool to know that Vasselheim was in the loop enough, let's say, to be investigating. Because I know that's something we talked about in the past of like, with this big type of event, like wouldn't, you know, Vasselheim being majorly connected to a number of the gods, like wouldn't they be, not that mm -hmm. they know, not that they're omniscient, but wouldn't they be like a bit more concerned if they heard these types of rumors? So yeah. I did like the the evidence of them right. having checked or tried to check it out. Right, yeah. Which may pave the way for like a, uh what's the word i'm looking for uh like gandalf riding over the mountains uh, at the oh, helm's deep of like a vassal oh, uh, yeah trump card maybe to, to help them at some yeah. point of like the reinforcements coming from vasselheim type of thing i'd be satisfied with that yeah dude we're gonna have a crazy battle i feel like, like this is gonna be nuts yeah i'm interested to see um, how long this next episode is yeah or if it's like uh even the next two episodes i mean it's going to be definitely yeah. a lot to get through for sure true i definitely um, think that the events of the solstice could take place over multiple days in campaign time yeah um so obviously in real time too it'll take place over multiple weeks in that case but yeah i definitely think that like it it might not necessarily just be a solstice is happening and, and it ended um yeah. i could see it being an extended celestial event um, yeah, and it, it does. We've mentioned this before. It does feel like possibly we'll get some of these reinforcements battling with lewdness and others, and potentially a Bell's Hells rematch with Atahan plus Liliana. Um, yeah, because we do know yeah. that, that the Mighty Nine crew are going from the opposite end. They said, like, we'll meet in the middle, maybe. So they're going to be doing their own thing. And we know that Keyleth is coming through via a tree. So they're not actually right. going to be like, hands clasped with he keyleth i mean i guess right. they always still could be if she shows up but like her and her army are going to be showing up not where they currently are right um uh one more quick thing before hope, hopefully you didn't forget where you wanted to go um yeah. but this kind of goes in with the reinforcements and stuff i don't know if you saw this you probably didn't but uh they i think they announced like some new merch or something i i, I saw it on instagram and robbie damond was the one modeling the new merch. So I was like, hmm, was, Robbie, was Robbie in the studio recently? Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> I don't know if that's like Pepe Silva, you know, um, cause you know, they they have a relationship. Maybe, maybe this shoot was it six months ago and he does have short hair though in it. Um, but so I just thought maybe, maybe we stand Robbie Dorian Dorian a little bit. Bring back Dorian. Yeah. Dude, I would freaking riot if Dorian was back in a good way. I mean, he's probably my favorite character. I said that up to everybody. <laughs> I'm doing whatever. Hey, do you think Orem and him are best buds? Or I mean, we know that Dorian had a crush on somebody. Which, if, yeah. if, if if you didn't know this, Robbie revealed that in like one of his um, not talks machina, uh, whatever the new show is that they have, a four sided dive. I think, yeah. He revealed that. Like, said critical role. And I was like, that's not <laughs> that's it. it. Uh, <laughs> in in the episode of Four Sided Dive that he went on, like 
shortly after he originally departed the show, one of the questions was like, was Dorian feeling anybody? And he did reveal that he had a crush, but he didn't say who it was. Um, so I think Orem's a pretty, I mean, it, it honestly could be almost anyone. Um, but I, I think there is some evidence to be made for a, for a Orem thing. Cause you know, they're the ones that talk on the stones to each other. I feel like, I mean, it could go they're either they're way. It could sweet. be totally friendship vibes. Um, yeah. but I do think Which the possibility yeah. is there. Okay. Yeah, Orm's very sweet to him, but Orm's also like sweet yeah. old dad vibes. Um, right. But um, which also reminds me of I was talking to somebody I ran into the day who also watches Critical Role, and this was the last episode, uh, and we talked about Imogen and Ladna, and they're just like really great conversation. And he's like, "Man, they're such good friends." <laughs> well, and I was like, "Which you know, it was what we're kind of talking about here." Yeah. And I was like, "Well, do you think that they're?" And he's like. I think it's pretty heavily implied they're like sisters and i was like well now am i the one overreading this or well, you know uh, okay i'm glad you brought this up because you know we talked about this in our in our last episode and i don't know if you saw some of the comments on that video but a couple people got into it as well and they were saying because and to to set the stage here one of the things we said in that video was like we've kind of been wondering will they won't they and then there is this moment last up or two episodes ago now where they like tell each other what they mean to each other. Like yeah. my tether, like in this right. world and the next, I love you. Yeah. And even though that was all said, it didn't really feel like this, this moment of like, yes, yeah. we finally are admitting it. You know, it just felt yeah. um, kind of just how it has always felt. And what some people were bringing up in the comments is that they are like, like platonic soulmates. So like they do like, you know, care for each other. And I, I don't mean to misquote anybody that might not be explicitly what anyone said, but that was the vibe um, or like aromantic soulmates. Uh, so that being said, cause we do see Laudna like, and I know it's just, you know, fun RP, but like, she's pretty flirty with the nightmare King. So like, yeah, um, maybe, maybe they are just friends. Doesn't feel right, but maybe, maybe I like there is that room for romantic. Tonic. Yeah, I, to be clear, I'm okay with anything, but right, right, um, right. I, I will say something that, and this is going to be totally undone if the two of them end up being in love and then Robbie and, and uh, Liam's characters end up being in love. But I will say for me personally, I think there's something really sweet about stories that portray like deep intimate friendships yeah um because in a lot of media forms of media it's like you have the casual friends and then like the lovers and there's not always an in-between mm -hmm. but something that you know if we use a lot in his words like a tether like something that's unbreakable and immovable between two deep-rooted friends I, I think that's really awesome and really beautiful um and that's not like it's saying it has to be that but um i all that to say i would be okay if it was a romantic um or as in not romantic, right, right. Um, but anyway, <laughs> didn't expect uh, to talk about those relationships today, but <laughs> well, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Let us know down below what, what y'all's thoughts on, on all these potential pairings are. Um, and not to get too lost on it, especially since we didn't, it didn't really happen this episode, but one thing, especially you have brought up, um, but I'm right there with you is I really like the dynamic between Ashton laudna so yeah i would like sure. and not that that has to go to a romantic place or anything but um i would love to see that more developed as well right everybody's so sweet to each other i just yeah. don't want to see anyone die <laughs> but i feel like right. we're heading to that so which okay. brings me to what yes. i wanted to talk about yeah okay okay so been working on a theory i've mentioned it that it okay. feels like sam regal is not shoehorning but is comfortable with the idea of sacrificing FCG. And I've mentioned it previously, uh, so we'll have to piece together all these sound bites when it happens. <laughs> but we know FCG has the ticking, uh, ticking time bomb. He has the energy source that's unstable that isn't said to be atomic, but is like incredibly devastating if it was to yeah. like go off. He's got like an explosive inside of him. Basically. Yeah. We know that he is incredibly sacrificial in in the micro, in like giving up his gold. Oh, I don't need it. Like take mine, whatever. Mm -hmm. And also in the macro, in times where they've had to convince other people for a trade, and he said like, "Yeah, you can trade me. Like you can yeah. give me away." Um, incredibly, you know, humble and generous with um, 
you know, it's just just an amazing person. Um, even being a robot. That's with the amazing, quotes, man. He's a person. <laughs> an amazing soul. <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> um, I was describing him as FCG would want me to. Right, so okay. there. <laughs> um, and then we know Ashton a few episodes ago confided to I think Ladna about his concern that he was going to have to keep FCG from trying to sacrifice himself. Um, and just like this guy just keeps trying to, to sacrifice himself, you know, it's like, stop. Um, which is when I said like, bro, are we heading to like a big, you know, uh, is it, I can't think of the guy's name. Um, you know, Starcraft one, like crashing, crashing the ship into the overlord. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, I could see yeah. FCG doing that, but here's, here's the, added point i know this is so pepe silvio but <laughs> the jokes about the change bringer yes okay yes the jokes about the change bringer and which we didn't see the coin flip which i wouldn't put it past him to lie for the sake of humor but also future story point um there was like the joke about like oh we have to take the ship down and fcg says well we got to get the crew off right and you know chetney jokes like, oh, well, no, it's, <laughs> let's just assume they're dead. Like, there's nothing we can do about it. And he's like, well, no, the change bringer, I think someone says, like, ask the change bringer what they would want to happen. Flips the coin, gives a look of like, oh, dear. Yeah. Everyone laughs. And later, or maybe in the same conversation, uh, FCG says, no, I think what's actually happening is the change bringer saying, be prepared. Someone will have to make a sacrifice, like, in the near future. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah. I'm just like, bro, like get off it, FCG. Like, <laughs> you know, why you keep sending us this? I just feel like it's so being heavily implied that FCG is coming to a point where Sam Regal is going to be totally comfortable with I want I want to sacrifice myself to save my friends. Um if the moment arises. Yeah, a hundred percent. I, I was gonna bring up the change bringer stuff if you didn't there at the end because I think that's, I, I don't, I think he was being tr like the reactions were truthful. I don't think he like, um, and again, I don't remember the exact flip, but regarding like right. the sacrifices where he doesn't tell us what it was, but his eyes are like, Oh gosh. Um, I think we can trust that. And so that the answer he was given was that like, yeah, sacrifices. Um, so I think that like, even though that was kind of like played off as funny, like in character in world FCG puts a lot of, of stock into what that coin's been telling him. You know what I'm saying? Like it's been kind of used as a, a recurring bit, but I think his character has been looking for this direction and you know, it hasn't failed, hasn't failed them yet. So I, I think that, you know, they believe that. So I could totally, totally see should the opportunity like present itself that FCG would, you know, jump on the grenade as it were. Yeah. And he's in a great position to do it being, one of two members on sky team. Um, it's not going to be Fern, you know, yeah. I don't think she we know in Fern, fun. we know Ira said that he can bamf or, uh, uh, dimension door himself and, uh, Fern or one other, maybe one or two. So I guess that's why they left those people. Cause they could, mm -hmm. but could see Ira taking Fern and see ya. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's what's, I mean, Matt could told like one, we talked about how, how hard, what the high DC, of what that plan even is. So I think they're definitely going to run into some opposition if they do decide to still go for it. So I'm, I'm wondering what the circumstances would have to be where like someone would have to, to stay behind. Cause you know, Fern can transform into a flying creature. Ira can teleport. Not that we can trust Ira. Like, I think he's just gonna, yeah, you know, I don't chance. think he's going to be too concerned with making sure other people get off that ship safe, but we do at least have Fern. So like, I wonder what the set of circumstances would be that it wasn't feasible for, for yeah. them to just do whatever they needed to and then get out. Um, right. But should that get set up? Uh, yeah. I, and Sam's totally the player to do that too. Like, right. not that, not that all of them wouldn't like do what's best for the crew, but like, especially Sam would just, he would make that self-sacrifice for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm nervous about that, but yeah, I think you're, I think you're totally on point with all that. Well, that's my prediction. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, uh, other stuff from this episode. Um, let me let me go through my notes really quick. Um, I, okay, a, a couple things I wanted to talk about. 
well, just specifically, we've talked about this before, but like what lewdness, what he actually wants here, because that, and you brought this up during the recap, but I thought it was really interesting how they were like, he's being uncharacteristically sloppy. And they didn't know if he was there, which I don't think that's, I don't think we can look too much into that yet, because it's totally possible he's there and they just haven't seen him, or maybe he's arriving before it happens and he just hasn't arrived yet. I mean, he's a powerful mage, you can probably teleport, so it's not like he, you know, needed to be there yet. Um, But if, what if he just never shows up? And that makes me think, like, you know, we've talked about all these Rudisborns being drawn to this area, potentially as a sacrifice, potentially as a power source. Um, what if it's beyond that? What if he's just looking? What if what if you don't have to be Rudis born? You just have to be like powerful. And now we have Keyleth here. Now we have members of the Mighty Nine here. Like this is attracting very powerful people to this spot. What if it's to Bro. be sacrificed in some way? And so Ludinus, yeah, he's not there, and he's not gonna be there because what if that key just like or something, you know? Wow, yeah, that's like a lot wow. of stretches, and I'm not like saying that's what I think is gonna happen, but I'm just. I'm nervous by those these little pieces that could potentially be lined up. Because why would yeah, he be sloppy kind of, all of a sudden? Especially with like the most yeah. important thing coming to a years long plan, decades long plan. Yeah, maybe yeah. centuries with yeah. how old he and could be. For how much? Um, I can't think of the word. How much carefulness was put in play with like transporting the residuum and the broomstone and all these things that were happening under the table um you know it to be shady to be sloppy now yeah there's something there's something definitely off yeah, or interesting done, about that i'm done that up there yeah um and I, I can't remember i'm assuming it was either caleb or Bo that told us this but there was like a large stockpile of of dunamis yeah or the key which we knew that through um, Gianna Hexum and the Paragon's Call shipments, that we knew that that Dunamantic liquid was had some part to play, but now we know for sure that it's like here with the key. Um, well, and also explains why Ludinus was so passive to Imogen and Fern in the room with um, Astani, or I can't think of the professor. Oh yeah, um, uh, I don't think it was. Ast well, maybe it was Astani. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I can't think of the person which one it is, but I'm mixing up character names. But um, and that he was just like, yeah, come up, come see us, come into town, come see us. Yeah, <laughs> rather than just like you know muddling their brains too. Um, you know, if he recognizes the power of Imogen, it's like, hey, that's another another soul for the cause. You know, come on up. So, does question does. Imogen's mother know that she's there there like does she know that yet I don't think so and we know also that she has a multitude of times told her to stay away yeah that's what I was going to say like if since she does seem to be somewhat high up on the totem pole maybe she knows the truth if there is a hidden truth of what's going on here maybe she knows and so she's like do not come here yeah um, but it's fair to say that she would tell her not to come there anyway you know more than likely just because it's dangerous beyond a potential sacrifice situation. Um, Where did all the dudamantic liquid come from again? Did they say? Well, I think it, the, we don't know like where it originated, originated, but they were being, they're smuggling it. And, you know, Hexum was like part of that. So I'm assuming they s somehow got it from somewhere in the empire, the, the dynasty rather, okay. the Korean dynasty. Um, but we know that this is stuff that dating back to campaign two, that we know that, Ludinus was interested in, you know, he was um, investigating all these ancient cities and um, the beacons, which yeah. the beacons are what kind of the dunamanic stuff all, not that it like literally flows from it, but like that's at the heart of all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and it, it can deal with, with, with timey, whimey time travel is a weird soup stuff. Like, so I wonder if there's even an element of, well, one, we know the cast themselves have some potions of possibility, which allow you to like do a reroll. Yeah. That's, that's basically because of like timey wiminess essentially is like the meaning behind it. Um, like you're taking this path of possibility instead of that one, this one where you, you succeeded instead of this one where you failed. Uh, we know <laughs> Ludinus apparently has access to a lot of this stuff. So like any battle with him, like it's crazy to think of what he could be capable of in terms of, he probably has his own potion of possibility at the very least. Um, 
I wonder if there's some kind of, oh yeah, good point, by the way. I wonder if we're heading to like an edge of tomorrow type scenario where like the party gets right to the key and it explodes and everyone dies, but the party gets like washed over with this demantic, dunamantic, you know, liquid. And then they wake up and it's like two weeks before again, <laughs> or maybe it's after, I don't know, but like they're the only survivors because of this. I don't know, dude. I, I I just wonder because then they say there's a big stockpile like re, like up with the key or something. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, I think I'm, maybe I'm thinking of residuum actually. No, no, sure. there is. That's that's where I that was my jumping off point here. Is that either, I think it was Caleb or Bo that told us there's a large stock of distilled dunamis that's like for the for the key. Yeah. So like I wonder. I mean that the possibilities are literally endless with that stuff. But I wonder if it could also be like a time travel situation to like go back to when he was imprisoned like and that's how we can undo it type of thing or, yeah you know. also yeah and it's funny laura bailey being like why why mauritius characters it'd be interesting after the fact if both of her characters are dead <laughs> you know, yeah. Yikes. So, um i did like the detail by the way i know we're kind of wrapping up the detail of um the distractions that have been happening all over exandria that the Ruby Vanguard has been like secretly doing, mm-hmm. um, uh, which I don't, I don't, I don't think like the attack on Terra or below Terra, whatever, if that wasn't necessarily implied to be that distraction, but it did seem, cause we were talking about like, what were they wanting to do with the portal? And like, was it, and I still think there's, it's possible they could have been trying to do something to the portal, but I also could see it being that distraction just to split forces and attention basically. True. Because we know Keyleth is, is showing up with, whoever's left essentially, mm-hmm. you know, so, so they're not showing up at full strength. So right. yeah, totally could have been a, you know, weak in the defenses type of situation. Um, but yeah, man, I, it's crazy that we're still leading right up to this and it could we're like, we don't even really know what's at like, we know it's at stake, I guess, but we really don't even know like what lewdness is trying to accomplish. I just envision them like starting the episode and that's like, all right, guys, enjoy. And then he steps away. And then Brittany Mulligan steps up. And like, everyone's like, oh, no. Fire. He's like, fire. <laughs> it's like the dot, dot, dot. Not the dot, dot, dot. I'd be okay yeah. with that if Matt sat at the table and Dariax and the rest of the crown keepers were showing <laughs> oh, up. Oh, my gosh, dude. Oh, my gosh. That'd be so cool. Oh, or maybe man. Matt plays Essex or something. Um, yeah. Oh, man. Apparently, there's another Brittany Mulligan moment. Um, in the children's stories for worlds beyond, by the way, I think at the, having not watched it or listened to it yet, excuse me. I saw a Reddit thread where someone, it was like titled, what is Brendan Lee Mulligan like hurting people? (laughs) (laughs) So who knows? It'd be crazy. I don't know. I just, I'd be crazy to have another DM come in, which we've talked about before. Um, Certainly, not, I guess not in such a big moment, but yeah, that's what I was gonna say. That, that's a to- that's a fun idea, but I I really don't see that happening with what could be like, yeah, the defining moment in like Critical Role canon. Um, which I know we're wrapping up, but real quick, I, I meant to say this earlier when we were talking about the implications of what this could mean. Um, it could be like a world altering, shattering event because if Critical Role continues, which it's going to, um, beyond campaign three, I mean. It's totally, I could see Matt being like, well, I've done three campaigns a decade in Exandria. I'm ready for something new. And so what better than like this slate clearing event potentially where you could like stay in the same continuum, but like do something completely new. Um, I mean, I don't want there to be a TPK or like a world reset, but I, I think that like anything's on the table. Or even like a time jump, like hundreds of years, thousands of years. He, yeah. He's mentioned wanting to do like the Exandrian version of like the Industrial Revolution. Um, yeah. Like what, that look, what, what that would look like. Um, and it's just an offhand comment, by the way. He wasn't like, for people listening, don't expect like <laughs> brass the campaign. <laughs> but anyway, um, but yeah, I don't know. I'd be, I, I think you're onto something for sure with that. I'm nervous. Me too. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. Let us know y'all's predictions. We we're definitely excited and apprehensive, but um, we're here for the ride. So yeah, and I know um, I know you said you were considering watching live. So I know I know if if you're able to make that happen, 
you should join us and also all of you guys should join us because in our discord, which I'll link that down below, there's a group of us that live chat during every CR episode and it's a bunch of fun and I can only imagine how crazy it's going to get if this solstice does pop off. So come join us. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, uh, any, anything else? That's it. I was actually trying to see if they had their programming poster for this week. Um, Cause sometimes they post it in advance and it, I guess every week they post it, but um, uh, okay. There's no notice of an extended runtime. Okay, because you know sometimes when it's a long one, they say extended runtime, but they did it. Yeah, uh, for but, this but one, the so. it is out though. The programming schedule. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. yeah. It's eighth year anniversary episode fifty one. Um. So yeah. I yeah I for, I already forgot that it was the anniversary. <laughs> I wonder. Beyond what's actually happening in the episode, I wonder what they're going to do for that. Because usually, the, like, I'm not saying they'll come in in costumes or anything, but they'll do something. So mm-hmm. it should be a an interesting episode for a number of reasons, for sure. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, we need a, th- a thumbnail, and I I'm just kind of scared. Me too. <laughs> okay. So scary just... scare faces. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna do your yeah the. <laughs> beautiful alright well I think that does it uh, let us know your thoughts and we'll be watching Thursday and we'll go from there alright so. y'all till then <laughs>